Amen. Big day. Awana has touched so many lives and we'll continue to do that. Got me thinking about uh, our church and what's really important here and uh, raced back in my mind to a retreat that I had done with our leaders probably two years ago when we were thinking about succession planning. We've been talking about April 15th, my last day here. We've been talking about that for a long time. Uh, I've talked about that with our leaders for a long time and planning for that and, and, and thinking about things and trying to think uh, well toward the future. And as we thought about that, we began to think about, well, what's the culture like here at 12th Avenue? Who are we as a church? And, and recognizing that these are things that go beyond uh, the guy that stands up here on Sunday mornings. And so I thought it would be worthwhile for us because it ties into Awana. And so I'm, I'm going somewhere today that's congruent with uh, our topic of the day. Um, but I think it would be good for you to hear this from us. These are some things that, you know, and some of this I think is, um, I think sometimes you, you cast vision, you look into the future and you think where you want to go and you specifically do some of those things. And then sometimes as you're following God, you're just kind of doing the next thing that comes along. And as you do the next thing that comes along, sometimes you don't really know what was a high value until you kind of, you kind of look back. And so sometimes your, your, your vision and your culture is not so much cast as, as, as much as it is um, detected. And I think some of the things that we've detected as well as cast, I'm, I'm going to share with you eight things that are important to us at the church here and, and, and maybe just give you a sense of, of who we are and I think who we're going to continue to be. Um, one is we've had an outward focus. We call that community outreach. Um, it's been important in our church to be very concerned about that next person that needs Christ. We've had an outward focus. We have, uh, we have believed that there are lost people in our community. In fact, as you know, I like to say here, there are 10,000 people within driving distance of our church who have not yet made a commitment to Christ. And as long as that exists, we have a mission to reach them with Christ. Not only, though, have we cared for people's souls, we've cared for their bodies. And so we care about the physical needs of people, and we've been involved at the rescue mission um, uh, with Abundant Harvest, with Shiloh. The, the food for students uh, is caring for the needs of our community, uh, loving people in the name of Jesus. So having an outward focus and not just becoming an ingrown church has been important to us. Second, grace and truth. We have been striving all through the years to balance this thing. It says in John 1.14 that Jesus was full of grace and truth, and we have been striving to do that. And so we want to have a tension between the, the guidelines and the truths and the commands that we find in Scripture, but also showing love and grace to sinners, because we all are, and finding that balance of grace and truth. The third thing is that the Bible is primary. The Bible is our rule of faith and practice. I mean, you show me in Scripture where, where we're going amiss, and we will change our ways that we're committed to the Word of God as our God. We want this church to be safe and welcoming. And so you hear me say, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, the good news of Jesus is for you. And so we want this church to be that kind of place. We believe in the priesthood of the believer, that each of us 
stand before God. And we can pray directly to God and we stand before God and we're accountable before God before our relationship with Him. Also, that means that we, in some of the areas that are non-essentials in Scripture, we allow room for the freedom of the Spirit-led conscience where you have to decide on your own uh, as God guides you to have convictions in these areas. <laughs> Teamwork. Uh, we, we believe that uh, while there's an authority structure in place, we believe that, that team-driven ministry and finding consensus is very important. And this is not a, a top-down solo leader model, and I appreciate what Jim had to say about deacons. Deacons in our church function, uh, we call them deacons, but if you look at the Bible and you can kind of parse out between elder and deacon, I, our deacons here, they function as elders. They, they function as spiritual leaders as well. So Jim's getting off easy now. He worked a lot harder when he was here because he was a deacon when he was here, and our deacons uh, function as uh, leaders. We believe, we believe in a plurality of leadership in our church, that the pastor is not the only leader, there are other leaders, and we believe that for several reasons. One, I think it's in the Bible, but another is it just works better because any one person is always going to have blind spots. And our leaders here have helped me uh, along the way so many times. Uh, it, it makes for a dance between the pastor and the deacons and trying to, to figure out that leadership role, but it's very important. And I think we're better for that. Number seven, denominational affiliation. Uh, we're a Southern Baptist Church. We partner with them. We agree on the major doctrines. But our primary emphasis has never been on our denomination. It's always been on we want to follow what the Bible says. We want to be devoted followers of Jesus. Uh, we want to submit to the authority of Scripture, the headship of Christ. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And we value our autonomy as a local church. And eight, and last, and that is that we identified what we call high-value church ministries. And we found, uh, we identified five of them. Uh, church children and youth, college students, both American and international, Sunday worship, life groups, and missions. Now, there's other things that we do in our church, and if I left out a group that you're involved in, probably what you're doing is really important too. But these were the ones that we identified these were the ones that we identified. And I want to talk today, since it's Awana Sunday, I want to talk about children and youth. Because I really believe what I said earlier. We're not raising children, we're raising adults. And so what I've talked about before, and the, 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 the kind of the, the mantra that I have here is, don't imagine your children where they are now. Don't imagine your grandchildren where they are now. Imagine them as what they're going to be when they're 30 years old. What are they going to be like when they're your age? And I think we have to keep that in mind as we invest in children. Now, children were important here at 12th Avenue when I came here, um, not 25 years ago, but 23 years ago, 23 and a half years ago, when I came here, children were important, and they're important to me, and I believe in that. And um, so that has stayed an important value of our church. Um, and we want to reach children for Christ. And I'll tell you, just to be honest with you, uh, we've reached a lot of families because we have a children's program. Because if you, you know, one of the things they found, in fact, this is interesting to me, um, 
they have studies have found that the single remaining common interest um, between families who are far from God and families who know God, the single common remaining interest is that typically, not always, but typically even people that are far from God still love their children. They still love their children. And so it's, 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 not only, and it's not only that we care about kids, but as an outreach, all of a sudden people that care about their children have something in common with us. And when we love their children through Awana or VBS or whatever, then we win their hearts. And that might be a first step to winning their soul. So it's important. It's important for us. Proverbs 26, excuse me, 22 verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Now, Proverbs are not promises, they're principles, they're probabilities, they're not guarantees. Uh, and I love what Chuck Swindoll's take on this where he talks about raising up a child in, in the way that they're bent. In other words, knowing your child, studying your child, going with their strengths, helping to work with them for who they are and not make them something different. Uh, that's true. But this basic principle uh, of what it says on face value is still true. Whatever training and instruction and guidance that a child gets stays with him. Before the service, I was talking to somebody and they were talking about, you know, verses they learned as a child. Well, the, the verses that we learn as children stay with us. And we were talking about how hard it is to memorize the Bible now, some of us who are a little bit more mature, um, how hard it is to memorize Scripture. Seems like with kids, you can just do it real easy. I didn't know um, how important um, investing in life. I've, I've always known that investing in the lives of children, that was important for us to do, but I, I didn't know how important it was until I, I went to a conference probably about 15 years ago, and I heard George Barna speak, and uh, the guy who does all the Christian surveys and has all the Christian statistics out there. And I spoke at a conference, and 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 his research has found that a person's lifelong behaviors and views are generally developed when they're very young. And I've shared some of this before, but this is worthy of repetition. Uh, three principles that he shared. One is this, a person's moral foundations are generally established by the time they reach the age nine. What do I mean by, by moral foundation? What they believe about truth, what they believe about integrity, um, what has meaning, what justice is, Morality, ethics, children shape those things in their first decade of life. Number two, a person's response to the meaning and personal value of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection is usually determined before a person reaches 18. Now, I'm going to have a caveat to that in just a minute, but that's what he said, and I think that's probably true. It sure has been true in the past. Number three, and I think you can get this on your phone if you're not tracking with me, um, if you go to our site. Typically, spiritual beliefs are irrevoc irrevocably formed by the time they are 13 years old. 
what they believe about God and the Bible, an afterlife, uh, the meaning of, of life, the meaning of how they gain God's favor, the means of gaining God's favor. Um, and he said it at the conference, in essence, what you believe by the time you're 13 is what you will die believing. So why do we invest in children? Because <laughs> that's what the survey shows. Now, caveat to that, there are exceptions. And, and I have seen, and we have seen at 12th Avenue, and I don't know if we're unique, but we see a lot of adult decisions here. We see a lot of adults coming to faith in Christ. Uh, I would say over the last 23 years, pretty consistently, I've seen adults that are coming to faith in Christ, and which seems to be a little different from these stats. I believe these stats are changing. Um, and I think because, and I think because, and this is, and it's not a, that's not a good thing, that's kind of a sad thing, because that means that fewer and fewer children are growing up with a strong Christian base, fewer and fewer children are growing up in homes where they read the Bible, they have devotions, they go to church together. And so I think a lot of you that have come to faith, and, and by your own testimonies, you, you haven't been exposed to the gospel of Jesus. You haven't been exposed to the Bible. Uh, and then as an adult, for some reason, some way, you started seeking God. Praise God. Praise God. Now, and it's wonderful. But how much better would it be? And, and a lot of us, and a lot of your testimonies are, boy, I'd have made a lot of decisions differently if I'd have known Christ when I was a child. If I'd come to know Christ when I was 8 or 13, I'd have done a lot of things differently. How much better for them? How important. Now, all of us would admit, think about your values, where you are today, how you think about things, and how they go back to the home in which you were raised how they go back to the church in which you were raised if you went to church. And a lot of us had an Awana leader, our Sunday school teacher, that influenced us powerfully. I had one, his name was Mr. Furtick. He taught me when I was like 10 or 11 years old in Sunday school. And, and, and he, he taught us in the class and he spent time with us and he did fun things with us. And we memorized the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes and, and he invested in my life. I've never forgotten that. Ten years ago or so, he, he, he died, and I sat down and I wrote a letter to his widow, and I said, I just wanted to tell you about the influence that your husband had in my life. It really matters. It really matters. But we have to think big picture. It's a, you know, this whole thing of investing in children, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or a water or, or VBS or nursery or parenting, it's a long-term perspective. You've got to think big picture. It, it requires a long-term commitment. Parenting is based on this. It's embracing this fact that these little guys come to us and they're, they're in our arms and they seem so perfect and you don't even think they have a sin nature, but they do. They're dirty, rotten sinners just like us. And so when they get two years old and they take their little hammer and they bonk it, their friend in the head with that because they did something they didn't like, it's like, yeah, what did you expect? That's what we did when we were that age, I'm sure. So it's all about that we're rebels against God and we need to turn from our rebellion and surrender our lives to Christ. 
whether we're three years old or 83 years old. And it's all about dealing with our foolish hearts. Proverbs talks about this. Proverbs 19.13, a foolish son is his father's ruin. Proverbs 17.21, to have a fool for a son brings grief. There is no joy for the father of a fool. Proverbs 17.25, a foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the one who bore him. In contrast, Proverbs 10.1, a wise son brings joy to his father. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. So hear me today. Wisdom is for a child to choose to yield their life to Christ and to follow Him, to make Him their Lord. To, that is the only path to wise living. But wisdom is not only knowing God, it is the character of God being built into the fabric of our being. George Barnum admitted the outcome of his studies has caused a, a turnabout in his own views of ministry. He said this, he says, I have concluded that children are the single most important population group for the church to focus upon. Wow. Now, I think we can do more than that, so I don't want to be unilateral about that. But I think it, it always needs to be a part of our foundation as a church. We always need to have our face set toward that next generation and how we're going to reach them, how we're going to relate to them, being relevant, being current, being engaged to reach them. Now, let me say just a word to parents. We have your children here for a few hours a week. And praise God for the lives that that few hours have, have impacted and made a big difference in some of the stories that we hear. Um, how much better if what they're hearing here at Awana and they're, in, they're learning here is coupled with a home that is congruent with those same values and those same teachings. So, let me just challenge you. I think you have to keep thinking this way. Who do I want my children to be when, when they're 30 years old? Who do I want them to be? And I think we have to combat the idea that the world says, well, I want them to be healthy, I want them to be happy, I want them to be successful, which means they make a lot of money or they have a lot of influence or, and prestige. But I just want to tell you this, your children can be healthy, happy as the world goes, successful as the world goes, and still break your heart. You see, that's because if you're a good Christian parent, that's, that's not the measurement of success. The measurement of success is that they're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. They're seeking God with their hearts. And they have become men and women of character. And they have the character of God being built into their lives. And so they're becoming... Uh, significant in their places of influence for God 
their witness for God in their business. They're a light to the friends around them. They're good husbands. They're good wives. They're good parents. They have character qualities like we learned. Do you remember the grace-based parenting that we did? Sam and Lori brought that to us. I still remember that. They, you know, we talked about teaching our children to have a humble heart and a grateful heart and a servant heart and a generous heart. Don't we want our children to be like that when they grow up, that they'll be humble, they'll be grateful, they'll have a servant heart, they'll have a generous heart? Isn't that a lot more important to see those values in their life than maybe just to see them making a lot of money and living in a big house and driving a fancy car or having a lot of degrees after their name? Or having a place of prestige? I think so. So we need to teach them. And so part of this goes back to training them. Humility. We need to train our children to think of others as more important than themselves. We need to point out pride and arrogance when we see it. I did that with my kids. I don't know. I I, I used to I had one especially, I had to call him out about that. You are so proud. You are so arrogant. And I thought, where did he get that from? Mm. And we need to confess our own sins to our children. We need to teach them to be grateful, to quit thinking that they deserve. Teach them that everything that they have is a gift from God. To say thank you, to write thank you notes. To talk to them about what you're thankful for. To talk to them about how God is our provider of everything that we have. We need to teach them to serve. Encourage them to serve others whenever there's opportunity. Not just to earn money, but with no expectation of return. To serve other people. We need to talk to them about generosity. About how God's economic system works where God blesses us so we can bless others and we can use the money that we have and share it with others and that there's joy in giving in God's system. Now, all this teaching will mean nothing unless they see humility in you and gratitude in you and see you serve others and see you being generous. Because if you're proud and you're demanding and you want others to serve you and you're stingy, your kids will learn that too. Your children will get it. I'll guarantee you. Because what you live is so much more important than what you say. You got to model it day in and day out. Now, last word. Um, for those of us who are empty nesters. Some of us have moved past this season of life. So those of you who tune me out because you don't have children in your home, wake up, it's time. Empty nesters. Um, Are we done? Well, on some level, yes, we are. Uh, I mean, just to be candid, we've kind of done what we could do. Uh, The good, the bad, the ugly. But but we still get to model because you know what? Our kids are still watching us. Our kids are still watching us. Um, We get to pray for them. We get to give them advice if they ask. If they don't ask, they don't want it. I just 
just a, a word to the wise there. And we get to invest in our grandchildren. If God blesses you with an in-law, you get to invest in them. You get to invest in your grandchildren. And so this is the season of our life. We have eight grandchildren now. And so our grandparenting verse is Psalm 71, 18. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. And so as long as I'm breathing, as long as I'm in this world, whether I have an office, a position or not, I have a purpose. And Connie and I have agreed, this is our purpose. We want to declare God's power and greatness to all who will listen till He calls us home, especially to our grandchildren because we're moving into that season of life, to our children, to our neighborhood, to people who live around us. If I end up taking a job somewhere, maybe I'll have a position there to, to do it as well. But until God calls us home in some way, shape, or fashion, I want to talk about Him. I want to point people to Him. And don't we want to build that into our children? Don't we want to build that into that next generation, the ones who are yet to come? That's our goal. So God bless all of you who have been involved in Awana, who, who have made that happen here. And, and, and thinking large, th those of you who have been involved in, in the nursery and taught Sunday school and helped in VBS and the list goes on and on where you've invested in the lives of children. And we have a heritage in our church. We have our children going out and serving the world. We have children on the other side of the world today who came out of this church. Some of your best, some of the ones that were most important to you are on the other side of the world serving God who grew up in this economy. Praise God. Glory to God. We want to see His work go on till He returns. Let's stand together for our closing prayer. As always, if I can help you with taking a step in your spiritual life or somebody on my staff can, we'd love to chat with you. Father, we thank you for our children. Help us to be good stewards of this responsibility in whatever role we feel as a, a wanna leader, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a friend, as an aunt, as an uncle. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.